Today we're going to dive in. We're going to let God speak to us through his word. And uh, really the, the theme and the focus this week is something God really just really put on my heart months ago for this day. Is this this thought of just one look? Just, just one look. Let me, let me ask you this this morning. What, do you see, what have you seen differently this year than you saw before? I mean, think about that for a moment. What are you seeing differently this year than you saw before? You're like, well, Mike, we saw all kind of stuff last year. I mean, it was a, it was a very unusual year. We'd agree to that, right? We saw, we saw political theater, national drama. We, we saw snow in places that don't get snow. We saw oh, we got all kind of craziness. And some would say, I, I've seen way too much computer screen. Can I get an amen to that? Too much Zoom and uh, too many times the people forgot they were on Zoom. And uh, that's always embarrassing. And then there was uh, the walls inside your house and some may admit you may have seen too, many, too much of your kids this year because they weren't in school, and you've got to be school mom, teacher, and, and business person. But you know, it's interesting this year, as I was thinking through that, what I, what I think that really stuck out to me this year was this, what I saw more than anything else, maybe it's just an awareness, but I, I saw people's eyes. I, I saw people's eyes and in ways that you never see them before because we wear these masks everywhere we go, and, and because of that, we have to see people differently and we see them in a in a way that is unique because we're looking people in the eye more than ever before and can i tell you this easter that you have not locked eyes on anyone that our lord jesus christ did not die for i mean think about it our, our eyes are the the windows of our soul there are there are some of you that are new to hope honestly when we hope by fall we're not maybe wearing these masks that I'm not going to recognize you because I've only seen you with a mask on. And I, I see your eyes, and some of you have really pretty hair. You know me because it's not there. But it's, a, it's this thing that draws us in because God said these eyes really speak about what's going on in our heart. I mean, think about the communication that is sometimes more powerful than words that come through our eyes. When we lock eyes on somebody, we say, I see you. We say, I value you. We can express empathy with our eyes. We can weep with those that weep. We can also rejoice and celebrate with those we rejoice. Our eyes also can be very negative. They can say, I dismiss you. Any parent of a teenager ever got an eye roll? Come on. Some of you as adults still eye roll. You shouldn't do that. So our eyes can say, I'm not interested in you. I just look away. Or the old classic, if looks could kill. That's the little old ladies at the grocery store that chose not to wear a mask. If you dare look at them, like, don't even go there. It's just amazing what speaks through our eyes. Our eyes tend to focus on what matters to most of us. It captures our attention. And think about it, attention is one of the things we crave the most. It's not just a little kid seeking for the attention of mom and dad. It's, it's all of us. We crave it. It's like food and water to us. We want to be noticed because when we're noticed, we feel alive. When we're noticed, we, we feel worthwhile. It's what we want from man, but can I tell you, it's also what we want from our creator, God. We, we need to recognize, again, he sees us. And that makes this priestly blessing that was spoken over the children of Israel, the Jewish people by our God, is found in, I, in number six. It'll be on the screen this morning. It says this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. What, what a beautiful thought, isn't it? I know it's popular in a song right now, but it's ancient. It is the speaking of God's heart toward his people. Because you think about it, to turn your face towards someone means you're giving them your wholehearted, undivided attention. It says to them, I have nothing to do better than this. I have nowhere I'd rather be in this moment. I'm fully devoted to being with you. It's something we all probably can do better, right? And it's the kind of attention that our God lavishes on us. 
But it gets even better. The blessing says this. Not only does he turn his face toward us, he makes his face shine on us. He makes it shine on us. It's the image of a father or a mother seeing the newborn child for the first moment. It's the groom that, that's standing up front trying to get over the nerves, and all of a sudden the door opens up and the bride walks in, and you see the face light up. Why? Because there's an attention like no other in that moment because attention is valuable. Attention is something we just don't give to people. It actually costs something. We pay attention to one another. And Jesus was the master of this, wasn't he? I mean, he, was, he saw the whole world as he walked on this earth. He, he saw the whole world as God bathed. I mean, everywhere he looked, he saw God. He saw the, the creation of his father, and so much so that he would point things out to those who were with him. One day, he pointed out the sparrow that flew by, and he said, look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And what he was saying is this. He says, look at them. They don't build anything. They don't lead anything. They, they, don't, they don't do anything that is lasting. But I tell you what, my father knows if a single one of them falls. Check it out, Matthew chapter 10 on the screen again. It says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Think about this. If God takes time to attend to every mishap involving a sparrow or the hairs you leave in the bottom of the sink or the drain, can I tell you, you can imagine how closely engaged he is with your life, how closely he is in those moments where you feel maybe that you're all alone. And Easter is one of those days we celebrate the attention of our God. It's one of those days that around the world people notice, is celebrated, whether it be a vacation for some or a, an incredible moment of spiritual worship for others. Because Easter is one of those days that's very visual. It's very uh, emotional. It's something that engages all of us. And you think about it, we embrace the beauty of it. We, we dress a little differently on Easter, somebody. I mean, we, we see people wearing ties and never wear ties, jackets. Wear, we, we come with these bright colors. Why? Because we're celebrating that this new birth, this new life, this, this hope that's found in this day. We think about Easter and we, we think about the story of what you're going to walk through today. It's, it's like a Hollywood epic. I mean, it's so visual. It's so virtual in our experiences and we embrace it or not. I mean, think about it. We, we take it in with our eyes more than we do with our ears. Last week, we talked about the triumphal entry, and you can just see it. You can see the city of Jerusalem, a million people there, and, and the, they're getting ready for the Passover feast, such an incredible, incredible celebration for the Jewish people, but yet here's Jesus coming in, riding on this donkey, people waving the palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, the whole time calling out, save us. They just didn't expect him to die for them. That night on the Passover service, we see the Lord's Supper in, in imagery. We, we, we think about it in the old Da Vinci picture, just amazing moment where, where Jesus is laying out some things that affect us and impact us to some men that really didn't totally understand it. And even there, he served all of them by washing their feet, even the one who would betray him. Then we move to the Garden of Gethsemane and the, that visual in Scripture where it says Jesus prayed in anguish to the point where literally he was having great sweat drops of blood just, just coming off of his brow because it was this moment of anguish where the human side of Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way, let's do it. But if not, Lord, your, your will be done, and it takes us to Calvary. What a visual image, right? Calvary, the cruelty of the punishment that brought us peace, the humiliation that brings us hope, the, 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 uh, the unhurling of the, of the agony of man on our God because of a sin of man that we now find forgiveness through him. And then the death of Jesus. You know, there's no way to visualize that. It's just dark. 
Those moments where literally in between the sixth hour and the ninth hour, everything went dark, and, and, and finally he gave up his last. But now today we celebrate something so much greater visually because it's not a man hanging on a cross, but it's a tomb that no longer is empty. It's the tomb where the stone's been rolled away. And because of that, the resurrected life of Christ is available to every one of us. It's not just about he died so we can get to heaven, but now there's a life, there's a new life that he offers every one of us that we may carry out the Father's plan that he had from the beginning. You see, guys, we can see it. It's like a documentary. We can take it into our lives. We can agree to its facts, its details, and many of us embrace its spiritual reality. We say, oh, God, thank you, because, Lord, I, I couldn't do anything to pay for my sin. God, thank you. You offered free to me what I don't deserve. Thank you for not only dying on the cross, because if you just stopped there, we'd have a great martyr, and that'd be okay to celebrate, but when he rose again... No, we have a mighty God who conquered death, hell, and the grave for us that takes away the fear of life. It takes away the fear of death, the fear of, of being alone, the fear of not being enough. And now it's replaced with the presence of God for all eternity. Yet for many, it remains just an event. It remains just a story. It's fun to explore. It's fun to dress up and be with family. It's fun to let our kids experience a very giving holiday, yet it's easily dismissed as just another day unless... Unless you choose to see Easter, unless you choose to see the resurrection, unless you choose to see what Christ did for us through his eyes. Not just what we see in Scripture, not as we see in, in pictures, but what did he see? What did it look like when Jesus died for us? I want to invite you there today. I want you to enter into this and in your mind's eye, just take a moment and, and flip the camera, so to speak, and think, what is it he saw? What did he see when he hung on the cross? Because we have to go back to the cross. Oh, Good Friday, we, we dealt with that, right? It was a, a dark day, but you, you really can't understand the resurrection if you don't go back to the cross. And you think about what he saw. All the Gospels record it. Mark's Gospel kind of gives more of that outward view, and that's why we're going to look into that. But if you think about what he saw when he hung there on that cross that day, I'll tell you, when he, when he looked to the left and right of him, the first thing he saw was what we would call the scandalous. There were two thieves, there were, there were two rogues, there were, there were two rebels, some versions say, that were hanging on the crosses next to him. And, and in their own admission, here's the amazing thing, in their own mission, they deserve to be there. They, they, they got the punishment they deserve. Mark 15 says this, Mark 15, 27, says they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right, one on his left. And actually, one of them lashed out. One of them reached out with his voice, and, and he, out of his victimization, out of his, out of his shame, he, he turned it to anger like people so often do, and he said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. No, by the way, save us while you're at it. But the other one said, stop. Do you know who you're talking to? Do you realize what's going on here? Here's this one-time robber, this recent mocker that threw himself on the mercy of Christ on the cross, and he cried out in his own voice. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into the kingdom. Wow, what audacious faith. Maybe you wouldn't categorize it that, but that's what it was. It was his last hope. It was his only hope. And it didn't go unrecognized by the suffering Savior, did it? He said, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise, right? I mean, think about that. Does anything speak more about how wide and tall and long and deep is the love of Christ than the story of a rescue in the final moments of life? I mean, God's mercy to this man blows me away. It always has. I, I, I look at this in the Easter story, and sometimes I get more gripped by that than other parts. Because he didn't deserve it, neither do we. 
He had no hope, neither do we. He had no way of, of saving himself, neither do we. But in God's mercy, Christ said, today, today you'll be with me. I mean, think about it. In our own eyes, we don't like it. If we're honest to ourselves, we don't get it. I mean, this thief did not deserve mercy, and that's just the point. Even though he didn't deserve it, our God was eager, eager to grant it to one who would call out to him. Listen, only heaven knows how many times the angels have rejoiced over somebody in their last moments and their dying breaths, coming to that revelation that, you know what, I've pushed you away my whole life, but today I need to know that my God is my God. And, and they receive him as Lord. And, and you know, some people, they don't celebrate that. Some of them look at it and say, well, that's not fair. And they're like the older brother in the prodigal son story. And they're like, they should not receive mercy at that moment. But yet, it's only us that have a twisted value or a twisted view of human destiny, not our God. That's why, that's why the, the, the cross is called scandalous. In fact, in the, in the writings of the Apostle Paul, it says there's a scandal of the cross because it rewards faith by giving grace instead of rewarding works that somehow we merited it because we all know we haven't. See, he saw the scandalous. When he looked out, he saw another group of people. He saw the skeptics. I mean, no, there's still a lot of skeptics. Hey, maybe you're a skeptic. I've been a skeptic. There are skeptical times in all of our lives. But when he looked out, he saw those that were skeptical of the whole thing. In Mark 15, 29, it says this, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Surely these mockers are outside of the purview of God's love, right? Surely, surely they're beyond hope, but I can tell you this, no, they're not. I don't, I don't think so, because I remember Jesus' words when he said, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. I mean, think about it. this whole pageantry, this whole, this whole episode, this whole epic of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the grave was not instituted by man. It wasn't that somehow the, the religious leaders killed Jesus. That's not true. It wasn't that the Romans killed Jesus. That's not true. The reality is our God, from the moment man sins, said there's a way. And there is a one way that's going to bring people back to me, and it's through the perfect sacrifice that came through his son, Jesus Christ. So he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. These words of compassion reached out to all who were engaged in that cruel drama of the day. Even though they were not without guilt, they weren't without hope. And I'm convinced, oh, I'm convinced heaven's going to be full of people that were skeptical. I'm, I'm convinced that heaven will be filled with people who had a struggle understanding the truth. But can I tell you, you're not alone. In fact, much of the New Testament is written by, by a, Apostle Paul who was very much a skeptic, very much pushed away from the, from the narrative of the, of the risen Savior until he saw him. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy 1.15. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the what? Come on, talk to me. Worst. Worst. He's not saying, look at me. He came to save me because I had something to offer. I'm going to write the New Testament. I'm going, to, I'm going to give all this amazing stuff that Christians throughout centuries are going to read. He said, no, he came to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. See, Jesus, when he looked out from the cross, he saw the scandalous. He saw the skeptics. But when he looked down, right around him, I, I see another group he saw, and that was the scarred. He saw the scarred that day. 
because gathered at the foot of the cross were the scarred soldiers who crucified him. They were the Roman soldiers who had, who knows how many times they, have, they had watched men die. Who knows how many times they waited in, in, in expectation, can we just get this over with? So, so much so that, that they were proficient at it and they were hardened to its cruelty. So how do you know that? Because when they had finished the work of putting him on the cross, they turned to a, a game of dice to, to gamble over who got his clothes. I mean, that's pretty cruel, right? That's pretty scarred. That's pretty hard. This man's death bored them. <laughs> they were far more interested in, in making a score and getting on to dinner that night than they were in the blood of Jesus. But yet these soldiers stand forever as examples of those that are scarred among us, who, who have no interest in the greatness of this story of the cross, who shrug their shoulders with careless indifference to anybody who tries to call their attention to what was really happening at this scene. They just go back to their habits. Can I tell you, that is all but one. Because there was one soldier the cross changed. There was one soldier that saw it differently. In Mark 15, verse 39, it speaks about this centurion. It says that when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this is the Son of God. Can you imagine? You know, there's a lot of people in life that admire Jesus' life. They admire his model of his example, his morality. They, they love his teaching. But can I tell you, it's not until you see him on the cross and him crucified do you really connect to understanding how much God loves us that he made a sacrifice so that we then are reconnected to our Father. You see, it's a thrill to see the skeptic come to Christ. But it's just exhilarating to see the scarred come to him. Now, I, I don't know about this man's theology. I don't know that it's completely orthodox, but I know this. God's grace is not dependent on passing a theological exam. Aren't you glad? Come on. God's grace is dependent upon a heart that's one to come to Christ, trusting his work on the cross for rescue. That's why the Apostle John wrote this in John 1. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's that moment of acknowledgement. There's that moment of seeing. There's that moment of recognizing. He's not just a man. He's not just a, someone that died for a good cause. Let's make him a martyr. Let's write books about him. No, he is the son of God. And that is the hope we have. And maybe that, that same power that softened the heart of the centurion will also soften the heart of the scarred. Maybe you have a loved one that that's, that's who they are. They're callous. They're indifferent. But can I tell you, there's hope. Because God's love can still penetrate their lives and transform them to never give up on hope. There's a final group today in this, in this story, and, and that's what I call the scared, which many of us would fit in that. They were in the distance. They were out there. They were actually those that had been closest to Jesus. They were, they were those that followed him, his disciples. In fact, in verses 40 through 41, it kind of gives a list of them. It's not complete. It says some women who were watching from a distance, and among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women who had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Can I tell you, it wasn't just a group of ladies out there. John was out there. There were other disciples out there. There were people that had put their whole hope in Christ, and now they stand in this place, and they're not standing with hope. They're standing in hopelessness. I can't imagine. Talk about turning the tables. You, you said, I'll be with you always, even to the ends of the earth, but I see you on a cross. You made these promises of a kingdom that's going to come, and, and now you're dying in front of us. I mean, their dreams have been dashed. Their love was defeated. Talk about questions. 
Talk about, can we get another session with Jesus? We, got, we need to know something because we're not getting what's happening here. They were despaired. They were disillusioned. You know, that's many today who, who believe in God or want to believe in God. And, and maybe they even believe in the Word of God or honor the Word of God. But they believe God is there and He loves them until, until it comes to the exact moment of crisis in their own lives. Until in that moment where God is not seen as good, in that moment where it seems like he's not as powerful as you thought he was, maybe it's in that moment where at a funeral you bury someone very close to you. And the preacher tries to do his best to make it sound hopeful, but yet for you it's just loss. Maybe it's a health issue. And you're like, I don't understand. I don't understand how this came on me. I don't understand why I'm going through this, why no one else is. Maybe it's a financial concern, or maybe it's a prayer that's just not been answered yet. And while love remains, the hope is gone. Maybe faith is strong, but it's only strong as long as everything goes well. And when the bottom drops out, there's still love, but there's no hope. Scared. It's enough to send anybody to a spiritual crisis, to bring a time of questioning and introspection. You know, one thing I can assure you, Jesus' view from the cross offers good news to anyone in every situation. Because God's not intimidated by sincere questions. God's not overwhelmed just because we are. In fact, God's Spirit is here to work through our, our dark night of the soul. So many in this last year saw nothing but darkness. But I can tell you, God didn't come off his throne in that moment and wring his hands. No, he continued to carry out his work on earth through men and women who put their trust in him. You see, if Jesus' work on the cross tells us anything, it tells us that he's not going away, but he's willing to go to great lengths to see you through any crisis and restore you to wholeness, because that's what the resurrected life is. In fact, God may very well create something even greater in that dark period than during the time when everything else goes well, so much so that Jesus spoke about his ministry this way. He quoted something out of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And when I want to read this, I want you to see this, because what it outlines is the very purpose in both his death, death and resurrection the very call that he gives to us as the church today the very call he gives to us as believers that we're we're not just looking at this day and saying Woo, we get to go to heaven no now there's a whole new life that he has bought for us that he's given us that he infuses us with so that now we carry out what he intended from the beginning when he formed his own people in the children of israel said i want to bless you now go be blessing to the nations when he said he loves the whole world that he gave his only son why so that we may reach out in the same spirit isaiah 61 says this the spirit of the sovereign lord is on me because the lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor who does that should be us should be you and i Good news to the poor. We're not just living to make a living. We're not just living for the next vacation. We're not just living for the, for the next toy. No, there is now a new life, a purpose through us, the resurrected life that seeks good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And provide for those who grieve in Zion. That's why every time I, I, may, I, I stand in that place of a sacred honor where I'm walking someone through a time of a loss with their loved one, I say, we grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope because we have hope in our God. He said to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Church, that's the resurrected life. 
That's the ultimate outflow of Easter. That's the ultimate hope we have, that ultimate hope for despairing onlookers. It may still seem only three days away for them, but I'll tell you what, the reality of God's new day was certain nonetheless. It was as good as done. They just didn't know it yet. You see, on the cross, Jesus saw the scandalous. He saw the skeptics. He saw the scarred. He saw the scared. Who did he see? He saw you and I, because we're all in that group. He saw every one of us through eternity look down and he knew where we were and he came with that purpose to give us hope, to give us life. You say, Pastor, this is Easter. Why are we talking about the cross? That's Good Friday. Well, I'm getting there. Because you can't have Easter without the cross. So what did he see on the third day? What did he see on the day that, that we celebrate this moment? What did he see on the day that he rose from the grave? I'll tell you what Jesus saw. He saw for the first time in three days something he had never been separated from. He saw the face of the Father. Three days earlier in that moment where he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can I tell you, in that moment, he suffered something greater than any physical thing done to him on the cross. He'd never known what it was not to be in perfect fellowship with the Father. But the greatest impact of sin is not physical pain. It's not even relational pain. It's this separation. Now we lose fellowship. We're not in that place where, where now we come to God because we're ashamed or we're guilty or we're fearful. But in that moment, he saw the Father. <laughs> he saw the Father. And if they could do it, and I may not be, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but I got to believe there was like an omnipotent high five in that moment, like, well done. It is finished. We did it. It is done. Everything that mankind fears, everything they lose hope over, everything that keeps them from being what we created them to be is done. It is finished. And now hope is offered. Now hope is offered. You see, in that moment, it was finished. But also in that moment, it was worth it all. It was worth it all to him. And as the old hymn says, it is worth it all when we choose to see him. We see him. We see the resurrected Savior. We choose to serve him. You see, when Jesus sees this day, when he sees this gathering, he's not distracted by the pastel colors you will never wear any other day of the year. He is not distracted by bunnies or lilies or hams or pictures. No, he sees us. And we have his total attention. Oh, it cost him dearly. We have his total attention. For some, that sounds really good. He sees me. Others, it brings a little bit of fear. But can I tell you, here's what he didn't see. He didn't look out on humanity and say, oh, I am so disappointed. He didn't look out on humanity and said, I am so angry at who you are. He didn't look out on humanity and say, I just can't wait to bring judgment upon you. No, he looks at us with hope. And that hope is that we will choose to return his gaze, look him in his eyes, and decide once and for all, do we believe him? Do we trust him? Do we give our lives to him? You see, the question this Easter is, we can see it. We can see all the pageantry, we can see all the beauty, we can see even all the cruelty of the cross. The question is, do we see him? Do we give him our attention? This morning, can I ask you, when's the last time you looked him in the eyes?
When's the last time you locked eyes with your creator, God? When's the last time you, you chose to look upon? And for those of us that maybe grew up around it and, and have been in church in our church, and we're in the South, which means most of us are church one way or another or religious, we've looked at him so much we forget what he looks like. We forget what it means to look in the eyes of the God who roams throughout the earth, looking who he can strengthen, looking for people. We forget what it looks to look in the eyes of one who has compassion and mercy. We forget what it looks like to look in the eyes of one who sees us as his beloved and says, that's my child, my son, my daughter. To the religious, can I tell you, you need to change your look. He's not angry. He's not looking to destroy you. He does not take delight in judgment. But through his eyes, he's saying, look, I see you. I love you. I died for you. I rose again. There's a better life, a new life. But it only comes when you choose to gaze upon him, consider his love, and give your life to him.